Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Episode 77 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. He has COVID. He's reckless. 28 days to go. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the battle. Not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. I mean, I've been taking the high road since we learned late Thursday night, early Friday morning, depending on how you look at it, that Donald Trump has been infected by COVID-19, that he probably caught at his own super spreader event to introduce his Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett. But I mean, every day it gets harder to do, right? The guy is now pretending that he's Superman coming home from the hospital, not wearing a mask, going in the uh, going in the limo on Sunday to wave to supporters, endangering the lives of his staff of the Secret Service. So far, 30 people that work inside the White House have contacted COVID-19. That's a lot. I mean, I, I do want him to recover. I don't want the president to die from COVID-19. I, I don't like him. Um... I don't want him to be president anymore, but I don't want him to die from COVID-19. I'm, I've, you know, immediately when I found out about this, wished him well on Twitter. I wished him well on national television on Friday afternoon on uh, Dana Perino's show. I've wished him well on the radio. Uh, and now I'm wishing him well here in this podcast. But, you know, you got to help me out here, sir. You got to behave like a human being. Now, I know he's pumped up on steroids and other drugs that might be impacting his thinking, but he's acting and thinking exactly the way he always has. 
telling people that, well, look, I mean, don't fear COVID-19. Don't let it control your life. And and look, I don't think anybody should be afraid of anything. I think we should we should be taking precautions to make sure that we don't get infected. I mean, this guy is now I, I we don't know where he's going to land on this. But it appears to me that his strategy is going to be I am Superman. We've created all these therapeutics. And look at me. I was in the hospital for three days and now I'm home. Now, remember, home for him is better than most hospitals in America. Let me say that again. Home for him is better than most hospitals in America. The White House Medical Unit is as well equipped as almost any hospital in America. That's why it was so surprising to me that they took him out of the White House on Friday and brought him to Walter Reed. It was very surprising to me. But now he's home. He's still getting his drugs. He's still getting his treatment. And he's getting treated in a way that none of us would be afforded. He was taking an experimental drug that has been given to only 10 Americans outside of the test. 10. You think you'd be one of those 10? You think your friends would be one of those 10? But for him to tweet out, and you know, I mean, look, he comes home on Marine One. He does that photo op stunt where he's saluting, taking off of his mask, walking. You know, I, I don't mind him taking off his mask when there's nobody around. But then he walks into the White House without a mask on. There's staff there. He's infected so many people on his staff already. It, it, it's, it's just, that's who he is, right? Now, I've been hearing all sorts of whining and gnashing of teeth about how this is going to play out politically for him. I'll tell you how it's going to play out politically for him. Not well, okay? COVID-19 is not a place where he's doing well politically. And if we're going to be talking about COVID-19 for the next three weeks, and I think we will, uh, it's not going to be well. And the fact that, you know, he's 74 years old, he's had COVID-19 for less than a week, and he's already decided that he's beaten it, COVID-19 might have something to say about that. Somebody asked me if I thought he was faking it. I don't think he's faking it. I think he's got it. You know, now you got 30 people faking it. Chris Christie would check himself into the hospital. I don't I don't think so. Uh, I think he has it because this is not something that he would want to do. He appear and you know, he it's an appearance of weakness uh, and it brings the topic back up politically that he doesn't want to talk about. He doesn't want to talk about COVID-19. He has to talk about COVID-19 now. He has failed this country on COVID-19. 210,000 Americans, as I am taping this on Monday night, late Monday night, have died of COVID-19. And many of them didn't have to. And God knows how many people see this guy without a mask and think it's okay for them too. You know, if he comes out of this, you know, he says, now I have a new understanding of COVID-19. If he comes out of this saying, look, we all have to protect each other, wear masks, do the right thing. I was wrong for telling people not to wear masks. He'll probably say, I never told anybody not to wear masks. I was, you know, masks are cool. He told reporters asking him questions to take off their mask. Good thing that reporter didn't. If he comes out of it with a newfound sense of duty to America, it could help him politically. I think it's too little too late. I think America's mind is made up. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. I got a great show today, by the way. I have uh, the one and only Montel Williams joining us here today. Had a great conversation with Montel last week. Um, uh, You know, we we didn't talk about the president with COVID because, you know, that got announced a couple of hours after I had Montel on my radio show last week. 
And, and I also have uh, Didi Guttenplan, who is the editor of the National Review, and we'll talk about. Um, sorry, not the National Review, the Nation. <laughs> Very different magazines, the National Review and the Nation. I don't know why the National Review is on my mind. Um, uh, we'll talk about their recent endorsement of Joe Biden. So stick around. I got a good show today. I'm not 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 going to that yet. I just wanted to plug it. And uh, last week, another great week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And please tell some friends. But don't fear. Like, this is not a turning point in the election for Donald Trump. I think the election is baked. Uh, I see certain states um, becoming more and more in play, states like Ohio, states like Alaska. Uh, I truly believe Alaska could go for Joe Biden, which would be phenomenal. Um, I think Florida, I've said it before, I think Florida will be called for, for Joe Biden by 11.30 p.m. Eastern time on election night. That is my prediction. And I still believe that. North Carolina is looking good, trending in the right direction. You know, Georgia is trending in the right direction. What worries me about Georgia are people having to wait online for nine hours to vote. So if you have an opportunity, if you're listening to this in Georgia and you have an opportunity to get an early ballot or an absentee ballot, please take it. Georgia is going to be, you know, Georgia is a state where they really do suppression. And I worry about it. I mean, we saw what happened in Texas last week. The governor of Texas decided, you know, and Texas is another state that's in play, clearly in play now. And, and we know this because... Governor Abbott, the you know Trumpy Republican governor of Texas, decided that every county should only have one place where you can drop off an early ballot or a vote by mail ballot, I should say. They do have early voting in Texas. I think it starts in a week. But you only have one polling place in each county. And Texas is a big state. It's got some big, big counties. There's one, you know, Harris County, Texas has got four million people in it. It's bigger than Rhode Island. They got one place that they're going to be able to drop off ballots. Why is he doing that? Because a lot of Democrats requested ballots and they're going to lose Texas this year. They're probably going to lose some seats in the state legislature, too, which I think is bothering. I, I think I think Abbott is very concerned about having one chamber of the Texas state legislature controlled by Democrats come January. And I think that's why they made this move. They saw a lot of Democrats requesting early mail in ballots and they are mailing them ballots in and they're dropping them off and. Certain counties had 14, 15 places to, to drop them off. He said, no, we're going to do one. Security. We need security. A lot of nonsense. But that tells me Texas is in play. And now the Texas Republicans are doing everything they can to hold on to the power they have. I mean, this is the, this is the party of, of suppression. Because the Republicans don't win in a fair fight anymore. They just don't. And it is up to, you know, their job is to try to suppress the vote. Donald Trump, you know, we, we saw campaign literature, not campaign literature, but plans about uh, voter logs that had suppress or, or avoid. Uh, there was I can't I'm dropping the word, but there was, you know, certain voters they wanted to try not to, to you know, try, you know, discourage them from voting. And, and of course, because they know if those voters come out and vote, they're not going to vote for them. The Republican Party does not appeal to a majority of Americans anymore. They are an ever-shrinking and, and, quite frankly, dying minority of people in this country. They're older. They're whiter. They are set in their ways. They are more rural. And most of Americans are less rural and younger and less white. So there is a very small, small minority of people that are Republicans. And, and looking at these polls, 
I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's um, very good at reading polls. And uh, it has been surprising to me that Biden is actually doing better with likely voters in most polls than he's doing with registered voters. Usually Democrats, it's the other way around. Why is that? Because Trump has lost college-educated whites, period. College-educated whites are no longer solidly Republican thanks to Trump, at least this year and probably forever. Because I think, you know, all these lies about Democrats becoming so, you know, you know, changing this country into, you know, a Soviet style communist regime. It's driving people away because it's such nonsense. It's so ridiculous that people see right through it. So they're an ever shrinking minority. They're going to pull stunts to try to hold on to power. And I think the president leaving Walter Reed early is a stunt. I think uh, clearly a stunt. Uh, I'm strong. I'm tough. Look at me. He better hope he doesn't have to go back. He better hope that he could appear on camera every single day for the next 10 days. I mean, he is an older man, a heavy man. They put him on a lot of drugs, some of them experimental, some of them with side effects. He better hope he can appear every day because the American people are going to be like, well, what's up with this guy, right? He does this strongman routine with the flags on the balcony, walking up the steps, look at me. You better hope that you could come out and talk every single day. He didn't stop to take questions from reporters. I know you all noticed that. So we'll see where this goes, but uh, I do not believe this helps Donald Trump. I believe it actually hurts him terribly because I believe that... You know, he's acted irresponsibly. That's why so many people that are connected to him have it now. 30 members of his staff alone, three United States senators who were at that Amy Coney Bryan event, Chris Christie. I, I, it's a, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I do a radio show on WABC in New York on Sundays, and Rudy Giuliani actually has a show on Sundays in WABC New York. And when I walked into the studio, I asked the producer, Rudy Giuliani didn't come in today. And he was like, no, he didn't come in today. <laughs> I was uh, very worried about that because I did not want to be in. A, and, you know, I went in there and I Lysol wiped everything, every inch of the place. Now, I've been doing that since COVID started. I walk into, uh, you know, I do the radio show in a studio. I don't do it from home. Podcast right now, I'm doing it from home. I don't know if you can tell the difference. But I wipe everything down. I spray. I do everything you're supposed to do. Um, I'm taking precautions. I'm wearing my mask. You know, when I run, I carry a mask. And if I see people, I put it on before I get to them to make sure that we're all protected. But I try not to run with a mask on, but I, I live out. I don't live in the city. So I have plenty of space to do that. We're in a precarious position, America. Um, this virus is real and it's getting worse every single day. We had over 40,000 cases every day, the last seven days. That's the average. That is bad. Back in May, when we thought things were horrible, we were having 18,000 cases a day. People are dying still. They estimate that 350,000 people could die by the end of the year in the United States of America. 350,000 people. What president gets reelected after losing 300,000 Americans to a disease? Not this one, not anyone. It's a complete failure. He has failed us. He has failed the world. And his flaunting the rules has failed his own people, his own staff. How many people gone to his rallies and contracted 
COVID-19. How many of them died? And we don't even know about it other than Herman Cain. You don't hear the Republicans talking about the death of Herman Cain that much, do you? But he did die and he did die of COVID-19. And he did catch it at the Tulsa rally. So how many people at that Michigan rally all packed into an, not an arena, but to a hangar, how many people died? How many people died or are going to die? Control, or who, and how many people are suffering? How many people are sick? You think they're getting on Marine One and flying to Walter Reed where they have a suite waiting for them? And every doctor who's ever, you know, any kind of doctor you need, any kind of treatment you need, any kind of therapeutic, do you think that those people who went to his rally have that? I don't understand how this president can't just come out right now and say, everybody wear a mask and social distance and don't go out if you don't have to. Stay home. If you can work from home, work from home. If you're an essential worker, wear a mask. Wash your hands. Use sanitizer. Where's that? Where's that messaging? Where's the lessons learned here from this president? See, this is why he fails. This is why he's done. He has not learned from his own mistakes. And the American people want a president who can move on and learn, who could be open who could be educated, who is intellectually curious. This man is none of those things. None of those things. He is reckless, shamelessly reckless. And I'm not just talking about his own behavior that led to his own sickness and the sickness of many others on his staff. He has been reckless in dealing with this virus for this entire nation. He is reckless. And it's time for him to go. 28 Days, baby. Great movie, 28 Days Later. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but it's 28 Days If you listen to this on Tuesday, 28 days to the election. I won't do the math on the other days. I know I get a lot of people who listen on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. (laughs) Uh, But 28 days from the Tuesday when this thing dropped, October 6th, 28 days. Are you ready? Are you ready to work as hard as you've ever done for 28 days? Are you ready? Are you ready to ignore the nonsense that this guy is going to be saying after the election. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's get to it. All right, I'm going to take a quick break, and uh, then I'll be back with Montel Williams, the great Montel Williams. A great interview, by the way, so stick around. And then I got Dee Gutton plan right after that, so stay where you are. And then I'll be back to wrap it up. Joining me now is somebody who really doesn't need Uh, an introduction. He is a Marine Corps and Naval Academy veteran. He is a former syndicated daytime television host legend. And of course, he is a major advocate. Montel Williams is joining me. Montel, how you doing? Good, sir. How you doing? Thanks for having me so much on on your program tonight. I am excited to have you on. Uh, It's been a while since you and I have talked, and I know that you are a true student of politics. You've been around. uh, You've watched many elections. You've commentated on them, uh, and you are are, are a fierce advocate for causes you believe in. And I just want to just throw it out there to open this up. What did you think of that debate? I literally... I was completely blown away and, and really more disturbed. The first words out of my mouth within the first 10 seconds were to my wife when we were sitting on the couch and I said, do they not realize, does he not realize that the world is watching this? Yeah. I mean, screw everybody else. I mean, I, I don't mean it that way, but I mean, the fact of the matter is that, you know, those 
who are on one side of the fence or the other side of the fence have already decided you're not going to change them. I don't think the debate's really going to make that big of a difference, even for those people who claim to be independent or claim to have not made up their mind. Right. Everybody has made up their mind. They know exactly what they want to do or what they're not going to do. But it's the impression that we've just left with the rest of the world. Mm. Mm. And, that, you know, and, and, you know, that is that is a true reaction and something that we haven't heard a lot about. Right. What is the rest of the world thinking when they see this debate? And quite frankly, I have been saying that Donald Trump's antics have threatened us more than people can even realize, especially like our currency, which is right now the currently the world's reserves currency. If this guy destabilizes this country, that won't be the case anymore. It's going to it's going to hurt us all. Oh, I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, what people are not recognizing and it may sound dire, it may sound like getting close to the cliff. But the truth of the matter is, America may have seen its best days. Mm. There's no one who really people don't want to admit this. It doesn't right now. I mean, it seems to me that it doesn't quite matter who wins November 2nd or not. Whoever wins, there's going to be unrest in this country. And it's yeah. unrest that will last for the next four years. And therefore, it'll take another four years after that to try to find any stabilization. And I, I am... I feel bad for my kids. I feel bad for their future children. Because yeah. what we're leaving them with is really uh, just quite a quagmire. Well, I hope to God it doesn't last. I hope there isn't four years of unrest in this country. I think that, uh, look, I, I, that's why I'm praying for an overwhelming victory for Joe Biden, quite frankly, because the bigger the win, the less likely there is to be chaos, at least concerning the results. That's what bothers me the worst, the most, because, you know, and I'm not trying to knock you if you're a Democrat. I've been an independent for, you know, probably the last 12 years. I voted independently for the last four or three elections, four elections. And, you know, I, I just see the way these supposed on the fence de- Democrats are that had the audacity to say that they have not made up their mind. Yeah. Yet. That throws me. And that also throws the idea of having some overwhelming you know, victory for Joe Biden. I, I, you know, have been smacked upside the back of my head uh, almost on a daily basis by my wife who says, quit putting it out there. <laughs> but I think that, you know, unless people really stop for a second, take a hard look in that mirror every morning when they wake up, you know, we may be faced with, you know, a, a Senate that changes and uh, becomes Democratic, uh, a Congress that's Democratic and a president that's a Republican that puts us in a lame duck for years. And then exactly what you said, you know, the World Bank may reconsider what to base everyone's currency on, and it may not be ours anymore. It could I, end up being friends. I think it would be the euro, quite frankly. I, you know, I mean, I don't understand how anybody could think this is a stable situation here if this guy's president for four more years. But that, by the way, that's why he won't be president for the next four years, because I, I don't know. I'm a little bit more optimistic than you are, Montel. And I, and I, I've, I've been reading these polls religiously and quite frankly i know that they've been adjusted since 2016 and i quite frankly think that they might be even a little tilted towards trump right now i think people know he's a loser he's failed well, us you know i think that there's i think that there and there are very few there aren't as many undecideds this time as there were four years ago chris i gotta tell you something i literally in july of 2016 i was, you know, I wasn't necessarily the biggest Hillary Rodham Clinton supporter in the world, but I was going to vote and I voted the Democratic ticket. And I literally said to people in my office, stop thinking that this is such a sure thing. Mm. I mean, it's like today, you know, you you hear uh, McInerney 
trying her best to defend a guy who is a pure and simple racist. Yeah. His, he has been a racist since the day he sat down on my stage back in like, I don't know, 1993, 94. Yeah. You know, I feel really bad because I was the idiot that literally was the only person that gave him a one hour show around his second book, you know, the art of the deal part two. Yeah. And I should have because, you know, the next day after it aired, it hit the bestseller list. And I felt bad that I did that for him because, you know, I thought the book was a joke. I thought he was a joke. He, he spent more time when he was on my set dusting dandruff off his shoulders than he did, um, you know, answering questions. And, you know, I, I, I felt that way about him. I've been around him. I've actually had meetings with him in his office in New York uh, over a couple of different business adventures that adventures that we were talking about back in the day. And he would probably, of course, deny that these days. But I, I, I even knew after the first time I met with him that this was like, you know, a walking, talking clown. Yeah. I knew but I said back in July, I even said it on, uh, you know, Don Lemon's show on CNN. When Don was going, this is in July, before he actually got the nomination, I said, D- do not sit back here and count this man out. Oh, I agree. Look, I always say, run like yep. you're 10 points down, not like you're ahead. But I, I don't see any let up. I really don't. I, I see a lot of energy from people that are really just ready to get rid of them. And and I'm seeing hopeful signs here and there. I, I really am. I mean, hopeful signs from people who voted for him, who are just basically saying, I mean, I've had enough. That's enough. Even this last debate. I think, uh, you know, the people I've talked to, and again, it's not a scientific poll or anything, but a lot of his supporters that I've known uh, are just coming to me. Yeah, you're right. What you've been saying is right. He can't control himself. This is ridiculous. Well, which scared, shouldn't it, aren't you a little afraid of the fact that then out of the same mouth, they will say, but I got to tell you, you know, that Sleepy Joe thing is right. Stop with the Sleepy Joe. <laughs> it's, it's, a man who has, it's just a man who has a stuttering problem who takes his time to, to pick his words. That's what all stutterers do. And there's nothing wrong with having a speech impediment. Right. Why are we ignorant to act as if there was something wrong? We've had people in the White House who couldn't walk. We've had people in the White House who lied about diseases that they had yep. throughout their entire term. And so for us to now say, and I've got, you know, my, my dad is 88 years old and, and goes to work every single day. He's a, a, a tax arbitrator in the state of, of Maryland, a, uh, appointed by the governor. Wow. Guy quick as he is. And he was he was the former, you know, uh, chief of the fire department in Baltimore, the former, you know, uh, secretary of, uh, or, of their um, um, transportation in Baltimore. He sold many cabinet posts in Baltimore. And that guy is as sharp as a. Tax yeah, I mean, look, I, I mean, look. look. And I also think that that Sleepy Joe cuts both ways, quite frankly. I think Americans are tired of having to think of the president all the time, and they kind of would like a sleepy guy in there, quite frankly. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, i got to tell you something. You know, uh, I I think you can't really compare the two. I think, you know, uh, if you call Joe Sleepy Joe, then you need to definitely call Trump Stupid Trump because, you know, stupid is a stupid does. Yeah. He is definitely what stupid does. All right. I got a few few more a few more seconds in this segment here. What was the one moment in the debate that just, you know, your jaw dropped? I, you know, with this, I heard it very clearly when he said, stand back and stand by. Yeah. I heard words just as clear as day. And I looked at my wife and I said, he didn't say I don't support them. He said, stand by. Yeah. Stand hang by. out, guys. I might need you in a couple of weeks when we're counting the ballots. Correct. Well, you know, I, I wonder here, maybe this is something, Chris, that you can ask when you have somebody on who's, who's one of these staunch guys who's on the other side. What is it that they want? If, if they want something, what is it that you want? You never articulate what you want. Do we want to go back to a time when, you know, people have the ability to own yeah. other people? It's insane. 
time when you get to shoot and kill people indiscriminately, when you get to lynch people, when you get to openly, I, you know, squaw people and hate them. What is it that you want? I hope none of that. All right. I'm back with Montel Williams, uh, legendary TV talk show host, advocate, former Marine, went to the American Naval Academy, the United States Naval Academy, fantastic guy who's been an advocate and a straight shooter his entire life. One of the issues that he's been a major advocate on is the legalization of medical ma- of marijuana for all purposes, I think. Uh, and I'd like to really you know, throw this out to you. I think that the Democratic Party finally has come around to that uh, in the last couple of months, even. I think that it, they should have been on board with it fully for years, but the last couple of months seems to have really embraced it. Chris, I got to tell you something, though. The Democratic Party may have come around a little bit, but they have not really come around as far as they could. I mean, we heard what, uh, you know, Joe Biden has had to say, and Biden is not necessarily a supporter of cannabis legislation. I'm not going to correct you, but just say that yep. I start out as a, you know, a, a, a super advocate for ensuring that patients like myself had access to efficacious medication that a doctor could recommend. Mm. And I started doing that back in 2000, long before this became Vogue. I was involved in helping in 2001, helping states like Connecticut, states like New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, write legislation to allow a patient to have a private conversation with their doctor. Think about this. There's no other medication that is recommended by a doctor in this country that anybody else will open their mouth up and see if they can insert their foot in the middle of the doctor and patient other than cannabis. And what we don't understand is that our government itself has supported marijuana and believed in marijuana's efficaciousness since really, really way back 1960s, but because we funded research in Italy, I'm sorry, in Israel from 1960s, 70s, and 80s, and we also funded research in the 90s, we gave ourselves a patent. People need to understand that the U.S. government owns a patent on certain cannabinoids out of cannabis that they issued to themselves back in 2002, stating unequivocally what they knew cannabis could do. Now, I have changed my mind along the way and supported uh, uh, what we call adult use now, and some people call recreational use, because I really firmly believe that no one gravitates to cannabis uh, to use it without having some form of underlying medical disorder that they may not even know about. Well, some people gravitate to cannabis because they prefer cannabis over alcohol because they don't want to wake up in the morning with a hangover yeah. because they go to sleep. Well, let me so, tell you, let me just tell you my opinion on that. And I don't smoke or drink or do anything, but I've been around drunks and I've been around people who are high on, on pot or cannabis. And, you know, the drunk might punch me in the face. The guy on cannabis might give me an awkward hug. That's all I'm saying. Okay, it doesn't make you violent. It doesn't make you mean. It doesn't make you nasty. So why is one you could do as much as you want and the other one you're going to jail, kid? And let's also remember that, you know, as contrary to the popular stupid belief, America was built on hemp and cannabis. Mm. You know, back in the 1600s, every one of our forefathers in the late 1600s, early 1700s grew cannabis. Every sail, every tent, every rope, almost all of our clothing, almost uh, the word canvas comes from cannabis. All the wagons that went across the United States. We grew hemp indiscriminately. We ate hemp porridge. We used and sat around and smoked a little bit every now and then because remember, back then you didn't have a bathtub, man. You didn't have a toilet. You went out in the woods and you wiped your butt with leaves. You needed you didn't have air conditioning. You didn't have heat. So people needed something to break that edge of just normal life. And there was nothing wrong with it. You know, the only thing, like, well, let's go back. Our entire revolutionary army was clothed in hemp. 
our, the only thing the North and the South had in common was that about 50% of the uniforms, both North and Southern uniforms, were made out of hemp cloth. Mm. It wasn't until 1937 when William Randolph Hearst and Charles DuPont decided to fund, you know, prohibition, utilizing a guy by the name of Henry Anslinger, who was a supporter of marijuana before because he was so against alcohol. But when they ended prohibition for alcohol, he decided to pick up something that he was getting paid to go against. And he knew that it could be a tool to incarcerate and continue the slavery of brown and people. It really is. It really does boil down to racism, too. Right. I mean, if you're a white kid smoking weed in the suburbs, you're probably not going to get caught and go to jail for it. If you're an African-American kid in the in the city uh, and you have a little bit on you, you're going to jail. In most cases, not not anymore because the cities are more decriminalizing it. Thank God. But well, but guess what? In L.A., even after decriminalization and even after legalization, the the amount of brown and black people who went to prison went up in the last three years. So it's not that we've changed our minds. You know, there are a lot of people that are ticked off that they can't use this to make a black person drop their pants and and empty their pockets. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, the truth of the matter is we're still in this game. And yes, there are some white kids that have been arrested along with that support. And this is really like a war against, you know, those who are, are a little bit more downtrodden that can't afford to have a decent lawyer. I mean, look, I've been popped a couple of times. I got popped in Detroit, in Michigan, uh, for having a legal, unused cannabis pipe in my bag. Yeah. And because I'm Montel celebrity, I walk free. Yeah, we have. Uh, people in Michigan that are serving life sentences for having less than an ounce. And then, you know, today I was just telling you on a break that, you know, Governor Polis of uh, Colorado just expunged the records of every person who has a conviction for marijuana under one ounce. That's great. Which is incredible. because And that's what should happen all the way across the country. How dare we live at a time when 35 states are allowing the sale of cannabis? People are making money, putting money in their pockets. Yet we have people still rotting away. Yeah, it's nonsense. I mean, people people who were caught with small amounts of marijuana who are doing time right now. It's ridiculous. Who's going to be the last person to go to jail for this ridiculous prohibition that we put in place because people were coming in from Puerto Rico and other places and people wanted to be racist towards them in the 50s and 60s and 40s. It's it's ridiculous. Absolutely. And we needed to be able to, to, to fuel our, you know, commercial, you know, jail uh, jails across the country. And, you know, there's an easy way to. You know, pop a kid. I mean, how many guys do you know here get busted walking out of Wall Street and somebody walks up and says, oh, empty your pocket and pull that joint out? Yeah. It never happened. Never. There's a lot of joints pockets down there in Wall Street. I'm sure of it. I mean, I know some of those guys. And yeah, they're some of the guys with the awkward hugs. They worked on Wall Street. It, it is. It, it's a it's a. It's a ridiculous thing. It's a ridiculous prohibition. Where do you see this going? I only got about a minute left with you. Where do you see this going in the next year or two? I hope that, you know, the Democrats, if in fact, let's say you're right and, and Biden becomes president, I hope the first thing they do is they fix the banking laws. That right there alone will mm. convince this country to change the laws. Do you know that the only one of the only business, not the only, but one of the only businesses that have been recession proof during this pandemic has been cannabis. A lot of the cannabis distributors have either made the same amount they made before uh, COVID or they've increased their sales by about 20 percent. And so I think that banking laws need to be changed first so that we can, you know, take the black market out of it and take some of this money laundering out of it. And then we should go after repealing, rescheduling, not decriminalizing, but descheduling cannabis and leave it up to the states and then allow states to do interstate commerce. There you go. Well, I agree. Montel, where can people find you? What do you want people to know? I got about 10 seconds. 
because I'm, I have three podcasts. Well, two podcasts right now. One is called Let's Be Blunt with Montel, where we talk about cannabis from A to Z. And another one is called Free Thinking with Montel. And you can find me, of course, anywhere that you can find a podcast. But I'm on iHeartRadio. And you can also, you know, get me on uh, the links of Facebook and Twitter. And, uh, you know, uh, on Facebook, you can you can get me at, let me make sure I got the right thing on Facebook. You can get me at facebook.com forward slash Montel. There you go. I'm going to tweet all that stuff out. Montel Williams, you're the best. I can't wait to do your podcast. We'll talk to you real, real soon. All right. That's Montel. What a great guy. I'm looking forward to doing his podcast. D.D. Gutton Plan from The Nation right after this. D.D. Guttenplan is the editor of The Nation, one of the leading progressive magazines out there. Don, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Good to talk to you. Nice to talk to you, too. Uh, I mean, I want to I talk about the endorsement in a little while uh, of The Nation of Joe Biden, but I want to start off by talking about this debate on uh, on uh, Tuesday night and, and get your thoughts about it, because it is really all anything anybody's <laughs> talking about. <laughs> all right, Sure. Uh, what do you want to know? Well, what was your first impression of it? Uh, my first impression of it was that it was going to be bad, but it was much, much worse than my first impression. No, I mean, you know, look, uh, I watched, I covered for the nation the first Republican presidential debate in 2015 uh, in in Cleveland. Yep. And that was the one where, you remember, their moderator said, if you're not promising to support the Republican nominee, whoever he or she is, hold up your hand. And Donald Trump held up his hand. Uh, so it's always been part of his USP that the rules don't apply to him. He doesn't follow them. He doesn't respect them. Uh, and, you know, that's part of his appeal to people. Yeah. But I remember watching that at the time and thinking, gosh, I wonder how the Republican Party is going to stop this guy. And then, you know, as 2016 unfolded, it became clear that the Republican Party had neither the stomach nor the interest in stopping it. Yeah. But now the whole country's gotten to see that he just doesn't, you know, he doesn't uh, play by anybody's rules. And uh, there is a segment of people for whom that's an admirable trait. Yeah. Uh, it's an admirable trait in a movie villain sometimes. But, you know, when it's the president of the United States and he holds, uh, you know, the nuclear football in his office and responses to uh, global threats in his hands. It's terrifying. Do you think that there are people who watched that debate who weren't already predisposed to Donald Trump that walked away saying, yeah, I want more of that? <laughs> no, I, I don't think people thought they wanted more of that. And, you know, as somebody said on Twitter, if you're watching this debate and you haven't made up your mind, Go play in traffic. I mean, there's a kind of, uh, you know, it's hard to believe that there are people who are who have a, a pulse who, who still are, are saying they're undecided. Yeah. But having said that, I do think there are people who watched that debate and thought, yeah, both of these guys are jerks, but Trump is stronger. Mm. I mean, that's not my response, but, you know, I could see that that could be a response from people who have no interest in politics and who don't really think it matters who the president. Well, well, that definitely bears its, you know, that has borne out in some of the, you know, polling of people who watched the debate, the focus groups, things of that nature, that there were some people that looked at that and said, yeah, that guy's strong. That guy's strong. I mean, I, I guess there are a lot of people who've been abused their entire life 
and abuse appears strong to them where I look at that and say, there is a weak guy who can't let the other side even talk because he knows he's losing. Well, you know, so here's a question for you, Chris. Were you as frustrated as I was watching that debate, just thinking Biden's got to pop off at some point because otherwise this guy's a bully and he's going to keep bullying and keep bullying. I, I was. And he looked at. Yeah. You know, he looked at he looked at at the moderator. He looked at Chris Wallace the way you you think of like a kid look who's in a fight at school. You know, waiting for the teacher to come and break it up. I, I did. I did. Come and break it up. I did get a little frustrated with Biden, but I do think Biden had his moments. But I've also been saying for the last couple of weeks, all Biden has to do is get through that debate and not appear senile, which he didn't. He, he appeared fine mentally in no, that debate. He was, he was clearly in full command. Yeah, of his full command. All he has to do is show people he's in full command of his faculties. I believe that anybody who's undecided in this country right now is not undecided about Trump. They know who Trump is. They just want to make sure that Biden's not senile. And he didn't appear senile to me. In fact, he had his moments. The shut up, man. The I'm here for you. Not for it's not about my family. It's about your family. I thought his moment when he was talking about Bo Biden was very strong. And of course, you know, Donald Trump, when he when he endorsed the Proud Boys, basically saying stand by. uh, I don't know how that helps him in with suburban women, frankly. Yeah, I don't think anything he did helped him with suburban women. I mean, you know, people people used to say that 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 they didn't like Hillary because she or men didn't like Hillary because she reminded them of her of their ex-wives. Yeah. But, but you know, if there's if there if there's ever a guy who's guaranteed to remind you of your ex-husband it's Donald Trump. Absolutely. I mean, he is just a loud-mouthed thug. Uh, and it, it's a little crazy. I, I we'll see. I mean, the real polling will start to come out probably tomorrow. We'll start to see some real polls taken post debate. I expect Biden to get a slight bump in those polls. Not a huge bump, but he's already up nine points, you know, in most of these polls at this point. So, yeah, well, you know, that's the, the reality. If you're up nine points, then you just have to hold it. And yep. he held it. Play, um, play rope-a-dope. <laughs> but, but, but that's if you believe that the numbers are the whole picture. And I guess I got so badly burned in 2016 that I'm not sure I believe that. This time. I, I say run like you're 10 points down, but I think the polling's better this time. I think even the swing state polling, look, the pollsters that are polling the swing state are better than the pollsters that did in 2016. And they're using the 2016 modeling, which I think slightly favors Trump, right? If you're looking at the model of the 2016 turnout, there might be a point there for Trump in those polls. So he might be losing with a poll whose margin of error might be going away from him. Well, I don't know. I guess I just, have learned to never underestimate the ability of the Democratic Party to snatch defeat from the jaws uh, of I agree. I, I agree. Have, look, I worked for Chuck Schumer my, uh, you know, early in my career. I've been working on Democratic campaigns my entire life. I've seen some real doozies that we've lost, including the Al Gore race in 2000, which should have been a win. Um, you know, well, uh, part of that, you know, that's relevant. The Al Gore race is very relevant because actually it was a win. Mm. It was just that we threw in the towel too soon. Perhaps. You know, I think that, that lesson's been learned. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, here's a, here's a for instance. I am told that the party, the National Party, has decided because of the pandemic that there, there shall be no door knocking. Mm. So that there, there's no nationally funded Democratic door knocking happening anywhere in the country. There are groups doing it, but not, not funded by the DNC. Right. But the Republicans are door knocking. 
Uh, and, you know, I remember talking to, to people in 2016 and saying, you know, I was doing, I was doing door knocking um, in Zephyr Teachout's campaign up in Dutchess County, uh, in Ulster County. And, and I, I remember being worried because I just saw many more Trump signs yeah. than Clinton signs. And I remember talking to somebody there and saying, you know, this, this, there should be Clinton signs. Why am I not seeing Clinton signs? And they said, oh, nobody cares about yard signs. They're not really an index of anything. So we didn't really, we didn't spend any money on yard signs. Yeah. I think you should matter. spend money on yard signs. It just shows us a campaign. I'm with Didi Guttenplan uh, of The Nation. He is the editor of The Nation, uh, a magazine that is uh, is a true treasure in this country, and we're really happy to have it. And The Nation came out with his endorsement this week, and the endorsement was for Joe Biden. And I'd really like you, Don, to kind of walk me through the process, because I know in 2016 you started out with Bernie and then went over to Hillary, and there was a different kind of process this year. You want to just walk my listeners through it? Sure. Uh, yeah, in 2016, we endorsed Bernie in the primaries. We don't always endorse. In fact, we rarely endorse. Uh, but we felt we endorsed Obama, uh, but I don't think we endorsed anybody before Obama for a very long time. Uh, so we endorsed Bernie in 2016, and then we endorsed Hillary in the general. This time we endorsed Bernie in the primary. And then in November last year, we, we published something called Against Biden which was an anti-endorsement, basically saying that we thought for various reasons that Biden would be a particularly weak candidate against Trump. Right. Uh, and so uh, so the piece we wrote this week uh, is called Fire Donald Trump. It's not called an endorsement of Joe Biden, but it, but it says that, that in order to fire Donald Trump, the only, you know, that you have to vote for Joe Biden. That's what you have to do, because... Uh, given what Trump has said about, you know, not abiding by the results, there has to be as big a popular vote margin as possible. Right. And that that and that that is the way to, to fire Donald Trump. And that, you know, that it's not just the nation. It's Angela Davis. It's Noam Chomsky. It's Jesse Jackson. It's, you know, basically there are plenty of people who, for whom Biden wasn't their first choice, but who understand that this is an existential choice. Yep. And given the existential choice and the fact that Donald Trump is probably the most dangerous president in American history, we have to get it, we have to get him out of there. And so, uh, what our process is that somebody drafts an endorsement, and then uh, it gets circulated among the, all the editors. People make changes, they add lines, they yep. take lines out, so that we're all happy with it, or at least we're all willing to stand behind it. Or if we're not, people can write dissents. And I'll publish their dissents. But in this case, there was no dissent. There you go. They're all happy to stand behind the line of fire Donald Trump. Well, let me tell you, um, you know, I was a place kicker when I was in college uh, on, on my college football team at the University of Albany. And one day I kicked a field goal and it kind of just barely made it over. And I walked off the field with my ha- head down. And my coach said, why is your head down? I go, did you see that kick? It sucked. It was horrible. It just limped in. He goes, Chris, they don't ask how. They ask how many. So whether you're endorsing him because you're for him or you're endorsing him because you're against Trump, whether the enthusiasm is for Biden or against Trump, they don't ask how, they ask how many. <laughs> you know, it's just well, at the end of the right. day, that was three points on the board for the University of Albany, and it'll be a win for Joe Biden no matter why people come out and vote for him. Well, and as we say, you know, voter, vote early if you can, vote in person. Or absentee if you must, but get out there and vote. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm voting in person early. 
Me too. Because I don't trust this president. <laughs> and I'm going to vote. Well, I, I just think it's, you know, for those of us who can do it safely, it's important to rack up as big a margin on the night as we can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm in New York. It shouldn't matter much. But, you know, a couple of months ago, he said New York was in play. And that really pissed me off because I know New York's going to have a lot of absentee ballots because people are really concerned about coronavirus here. And I know how slow the absentee ballot process is in New York. And it's going to take two or three weeks to figure out who won New York. Well, since you say you're an aggressive progressive and since we're talking about New York, let me just put in a little plug and say that in New York, you're lucky to have the option of voting for Biden on the Working Families Party line. So you can both vote against Trump. You can vote for Biden. Your vote will count, but it will also be a blow against the state machine. (laughs) There you go. I mean, you know, I mean, look, I don't like I said. I won't ask how. I'm going to ask how many. <laughs> you know, it just coach Norm Deep wherever he is these days. <laughs> so, never forgot it. Never forgot it in my life. A win is a win is a win. And I, you know, That's I what we need. Well, well, we need. I do think there's going to be some chaos after the election. Um, I do think that the election results are going to be clear at some point. Um, yeah, but it's important that people understand that that point is not going to be the day after the election. Right. That we're not talking about election day. We're talking about election weeks. Right. And that, you know, that that people who try to, to force the process to a conclusion before all the votes are, are counted are not Democrats. They are not following the law. They should be resisted. Yeah. And they and don't they, believe. Honestly, they don't believe in our system, quite frankly. And by the way, yeah. it's, it's only relatively recently that we learned of the election results on election night, really in the past, like 60 years or so, 70 years or so. This is not something we used to know immediately. It was something that took time and people had to count ballots and it was a process and people just have to live with that. But I do expect there to be, do you think that the country is adequately prepared for the chaos that Trump may be be planning for post-election? I don't know whether the country is prepared and I particularly don't know whether progressives are prepared, but we'd better be. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's uh, we have to be prepared to fight this in the courts. We have to be prepared to fight it in the Congress. And if, if necessary, we have to be prepared to fight it in the streets. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think he's planning right now? What 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 is your nightmare scenario? Well, you know, I mean, look, we've all read that article in The Atlantic, which is a very detailed menu of nightmare scenarios. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they, they impound ballots. They seize get postal inspectors to seize ballots. Republican-dominated state legislatures try to certify Republican electors rather than Democrats. Yeah. So the Democrats have won the votes. There are many different roads to hell. Yeah. And, you, know, uh, you, you want me to pick my favorite rest stop? <laughs> Look, I, that Republican elector thing got a lot of play, but you'd have to change laws in states with Democratic governors to really change the election. It, it, I don't know how that happens. Well, no, I mean, I think there, you know, in, if in states where he's ahead without the postal vote, uh, there's the, you know, we suspect there may be fraud, so we're impounding these ballots. Right. Do you really think that? That William Barr is going to say no if he if he orders the FBI. No, but it won't be William Barr, right? If there's a state where there are ballots that have not been counted yet, and he's saying that there's been fraud, he's got to go to court and he's got to prevent present evidence. Like these theories that they're floating out on, you know, that Donald Trump was floating out at the debate the other night. They're ridiculous conspiracy theories. When a serious lawyer stands before a serious judge, no matter who that judge was appointed by, frankly, at least most of them. 
uh, they're going to have to present evidence of what actually happened. And what's the evidence? I don't. I, I, I guess you're more of an optimist than me. Yeah, I'm an optimist. I know. I, I think that the notion of serious judges when Trump's been packing the courts is not something you can rely on anymore. That's true. Definitely. That's true. But some of these judges are going to be state state court judges. I mean, it, I just think that it's... It, it would, yeah, it would, but we're, again, we're not talking about state court judges in nice states like New York. You know, we're talking about state court judges in Georgia. Yeah, or you know, state court judges in Wisconsin. Well, if we're if we're if we're in court if we're in court in Georgia if we're in court in Georgia on election you know after the election it's a good night for for Joe Biden anyway if if Georgia is one of the states we're fighting in yeah I think I think Georgia's in play but we're we're quite likely to be in court Florida Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Well, we'll see, and I, I bet we will. And I I'm I'm sorry I don't I don't feel like he's got a chance. Don, I am basically running out of time with you. I got about 30 seconds left with you. Where can people find you? What do you want them to know about the nation? Well, I think the nation's been around for 155 years, making trouble and fighting for progress. You can find us at www.thenation.com uh, or, you know, demand us from your local newsstand. We are, we are in print twice a month, uh, but we're, on the, we're online every day. So, and uh, you know, come and check us out. Well, look, I hope your nightmare scenario doesn't play out. But if it does, we all got to fight because this is our republic. And if we if we don't fight, it's a republic if you could keep it, If as Ben Franklin said. And uh, we really want to keep it. Don, Didi Guttenplan, thanks for joining me. Read him in the nation. All right, that's Didi Guttenplan. I'll be right back to wrap it up. All right. I had two great guests. That's why I put them. Usually when I have two great guests on my radio, one of them doesn't get in. But um, both big-time guys. Maybe I got a whole bunch of new listeners because of uh, having the editor of The Nation, Dee Guttenplan, and of course, the great, great Montel Williams. What a guy, man. I mean, what a, what a life. Looking forward to doing his show in a couple of weeks. And uh, actually, it's next week. Uh, and I'll let you know about it. And you could... Download his podcast. Hopefully, uh, we get a little crossover, a little cross-pollination. Uh, funny, cross-pollination on a show uh, about weed. A little bit talking a little about legalizing weed. You all know me. I don't do anything. I don't even drink. So uh, I just think it's the right thing to do. Too many people in jail over it, and I, I think it's ridiculous. As I said to Montel, I've been around a lot of drunks and been around a lot of guys who smoke weed. You know, the guys who are drunk sometimes want to punch you in the face. The guys who are smoking the weed, maybe they give you an awkward hug. That's, you know, that's that's not even a joke. It's true. I know it's funny, but it's, it's true. Well, another week in the books, 28 days from now. We're going to figure it out, America. We're going to get this guy out. We're going to put this country back on track. And, you know, really, there's going to be a lot of things that have to be corrected. Um, when he's gone, uh, Congress needs to put in all sorts of new laws to make sure that the executive branch complies with oversight from Congress, complies with Congress's ability to check it. Maybe even have a president that would, you know, submit to putting his assets into a blind trust. So, you know, I mean, just think about this. A week ago, we found out about the president's taxes. Then we had a crazy debate, which I'm just now talking to. We're 55 minutes into this show. I am just now talking about it. 
I mean, that debate was ridiculous. He behaved like a crazy person. There is no equivocating. Anybody who says they were both interrupting, that is just not true. In way into the debate, Joe Biden started interrupting a little bit. Yeah, he did tell him to shut up. He needed to shut up, man. The guy was out of his mind. Not only that, he was asked to denounce white supremacism, and he didn't. He told the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. I mean, we're not even talking about it. That's how quick the world, this is how quick the world moves here. But as fast as the world moves, Joe Biden, eight point lead in the polls since October. He had about a seven point lead in October of 2019. He has an 8.2 point lead as I tape this show right now. Nothing has changed much. The American people know who Donald Trump is and they are ready to get rid of them as long as we make sure that their votes are protected. Get ready. We got to protect that vote. We got to get it out and protect it. A lot of people voting by mail this year and the president doesn't want any of those votes to count. None of them. He's not worried about fraud. He's worried about people actually voting. Like every other rich guy, he doesn't know how to fail because his daddy always bailed him out. And now that he's on the verge of a massive, embarrassing failure, being a one-term president, he's going to do everything he can. He's going to use every lever of power that he controls to try to stop himself from being held accountable. Let's not let it happen. All right, I want to thank you all again for listening to me, and I want to remind you, as always, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, America, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost.